Uh, did you guys have a good New Year's Eve? Are you all the types to like stay up? Who's, raise your hand if you stay up. You, you see, look at that. All right. We got some partying folks. Yeah. That's cool. I, I'm almost too old for New Year's Eve, I think. Um, we, we, we were up. We stayed up. It, you know, it, it was 12. I ran in there. I gave Mel a kiss. We went to bed. And, uh, and that's, of course, when the bombs start going off in the neighborhood. So it's a bad time to decide to go to bed. You either have to go to bed at 9 and be in a deep sleep, or you have to wait till like, 2 in the morning. So, yeah, the bombs go off. And uh, so that's a lot of fun. And then at our, at our house, we have um, wonderful, wonderful neighbors. Uh, who have uh, dogs that apparently have to go outside and do their business at three in the morning. So that was fun. So just when the, you know, all the fireworks stopped, we had dogs barking. So it was a lot of fun. It was a great chance to just thank Jesus for your blessings. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus, for neighbors and for life and for puppy dogs and all that good stuff. Hallelujah. But it was, it was awesome. It was awesome. We are, I'm excited. I'm doubly excited today because we are kicking off a brand new series today called Waking Up the Dead. And this series, let me tell you what, I have one goal. It is to help you shake off the past and embrace 100% what God wants for you in 2016. That is my goal for you in this series. How many of that sound pretty good? How many of you need to shake off the past and embrace 100% what God has for you in 2016? That is what we're here to do. That's what we're here to do. Last year, we were praying for God uh, to give us vision, direction, as we always do with everything we do. And I felt his unmistakable leading to start this year by helping us to shake off the past and embrace 100% what God has for us. It's, you know, and I don't, I don't know why, but you know what? God knows the future, so it's amazing. The Holy Spirit, if you get the Holy Spirit involved, you can plan three or four or five months in advance for things because he knows what's coming. He knows what's going to be going on in your life. He knows the things coming that we don't know about. He knows what's going to be really, really needed that we don't even know about. So we get the Holy Spirit involved, and we ask him, Lord, what is it that you want to do? We make our plans. Of course, it's all God, and so he, he always has the uh, freedom to call an audible at any moment, right? And, and he calls a lot of audibles here at Generations Church, so you'll get to know that if you come here very long. I know that makes some people nervous, but uh, we believe in planning because that's just good wisdom, but we also believe in letting the Holy Spirit have his free reign. Hallelujah. So that's what's been going on here. And so this series, what would become this series? It started with three fundamental questions that we're going to answer in this sort of trilogy, I'll say. Three-part series. Here they are. How do you become who you were really meant to be? Number two, how do you reignite a fire that may have gone out in your life? And number three, how do you rediscover faith when doubt and disappointment have snuffed out your hope? In other words... How do we wake up the dead? How do we wake up those dormant, sleeping areas of our life so that God can unleash a new beginning for every single one of us? Amen? So this morning, we're going to look at that first question and learn how to become who you truly are. Next week, we're going to learn, uh, we're going to talk about how to reignite your fire. After that, very important, on January 17th, circle it, put stars by it. After that, on January 17th, we're going to pause from this, and we're going to have a special Sunday where Pastor Albert and I both are going to be sharing with you how we as a church can embrace where God wants to take us in 2016. Okay? Very special time. We're going to be talking about some vision that the Lord's given us. Because, and this is important because, you know, in this series, we're kind of talking about you. We're talking about you and, your, you and me and our lives and everything. But this is never just about you and me individually. Right? 
Never, never, don't, never, never make that mistake. This is, it's also about this journey that we're all going on together. And so January 17th, Sunday, make sure you're here for that, because we're going to be talking about this journey that we're all going on together and the part that you play in that, the part that we all play. And I'm very excited about that. The week after that, I'm really excited because I'm actually going to be out of town. I get to go to Israel in January. I'm so excited. In just a couple of weeks with, with Pastor Dad here. So that's going to be wonderful. My wife and I, it's going to be a wonderful time going to Israel. First time I've ever been. I never just dreamed I would ever get to go. And so I'm just, uh, I'm just can't, can't hardly contain myself. But while I am gone, and, I'm, and I'm, the only thing I'm upset about is I won't be here, I'm so excited about the special speaker that we have for you to hear this guy you're going to hear preach. Many of you, for the very first time, you'll ever actually hear him preach. And that is our very own amazing anointed youth leader, John Burns, is going to be speaking on Sunday morning. That's the 24th. And uh, I'm telling you what, this man is anointed. He, he, many of you don't even know, John and Jeannie, they, they've been pastors before of their own church. They, these are anointed people. They lead our teens, and <clears throat> they do an incredible job. So the teens know how amazing he is, but many of us have never heard him. And so that is going to be a special Sunday. I'm very excited about that. And then we'll finish the month, God willing, unless he calls an audible, we'll finish the month uh, with part three of this trilogy, Rediscovering Faith. That's just kind of a quick synopsis of January. Now you know everything that's happening. Hallelujah. The scripture that God dropped in our heart as a sort of mission statement in my heart, as a sort of mission statement for this whole series, is out of Ephesians 5. I just want to share this with you. Ephesians 5.14. He says, Therefore, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is going to be our rallying cry for this month. I've talked to a lot of people who sound like they would love to just kind of put 2015 way behind them. Right? How about you? Anybody kind of like that? Some of you may have had a wonderful 2015. Some of you, like, went through hell. And I, and I know your stories. 2015. There's a lot of us who would like to put 2015 way behind us. The problem isn't that we want to put the past behind us. A lot of people would like to do that. The problem is we often don't know how to break free from it. Okay? And so what happens is if, you know, we get this big long list of wants and wishes and if onlys and I'd like to break free and I'd like to, this to be new and I want to try new, I want to try this new thing. I want to do this. But the problem is often that we haven't actually woken up from the slumber that we have been in, right? How, how many of you have ever had that, one of those weird dreams where you wake up, and then you like walk in the living room, there's a purple elephant there, and you realize, oh, and then you wake up again? You thought you're awake, but you're not awake. A lot of us live that way. A lot of us are sleepwalking through life, muddled, confused, frustrated. We don't have that clarity that the Holy Spirit wants to bring us. We, you know, so we're, we're sleepwalking through life. You know, we're just standing you know, metaphorically at the refrigerator at 3 a.m. eating mayonnaise, and we don't know why. Maybe, maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm just thinking out loud again. Um, you know, but that, that we're, we're muddled, we're confused, frustrated. And what we need is waking up. We need to wake up. Wake up, O sleeper, and arise from the dead. It's a new year. It's a new morning. And Jesus Christ has something in store. Jesus Christ wants to shine on you. Hallelujah. Now, here's something exciting. What Jesus wants to do for you this year, hear me? What Jesus wants to do for you this year is not at the mercy of what happened last year to you. He's not at the mercy of what happened to you. He's more powerful than that. 
He's greater than that. Okay? So we could just shake it off. He's, he's not worried about it. His hands are not tied in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. I want to read you another scripture. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I tell you what, if we were going to pick like a second mission statement scripture here, this, this would suffice very, very well. This could be it. The old has passed. The new has come. It is time to wake up. Amen? Amen, amen. So today we are going to talk about becoming who you really are. Amen. We're also going to talk about one of my very favorite movies, but more on that later. <laughs> Hallelujah. I want to start by asking us two questions this morning. Two questions. Not to build these up too much, but these may be the most important questions you could ever ask yourself. These, if you want to, you have to get these two questions straight in your mind before you move on to anything else you want to do in life. Your outlook on life and the outcome of your life depend on your answer to these two questions. They are that fundamental. You have to answer these two questions for yourself, and they are this Who is God and who am I? Who is God and who am I? This first question is critical. Who is God? I heard a story a while back about a little boy. He was drawing a picture. And his mom came over to see what he was doing, and she looked at it, and the mom asked her little boy, what is he drawing? And the little boy said, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the mommy said, well, honey, nobody knows what God looks like. And the little boy said, well, they will when I'm finished. (laughs) Right? Makes sense. But it's true, nobody knows what God looks like, right? We all have this internal image of God. You're walking around with an internal image of God, I am too, with this conception, picture of what he's like. That image or conception or picture of God, I would say, is the most important thing about us. A.W. Tozer agrees. He says this, what comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. The most important thing says a lot about you, what comes to mind. Here's how the process works. Now, according to psychologists, I'm not a psychologist, but, but I look stuff up on the internet, and the internet never lies. <laughs> according to psychologists, uh, children start developing these internal pictures of external realities around six months of age or so. Internal pictures of external realities. The technical term for this is representation, representational intelligence. Representational intelligence. They say at about six months, uh, a baby starts to develop an internal picture of mama. At about six months. At about eight months, the typical baby develops an internal image of daddy. I guess those two months in between, he's just a dude walking around the house, right? (laughs) Then the baby's like, hey, I think you're supposed to be here, aren't you? Before you know it, they say a baby will will start crawling. And once they do that, they start developing an internal map of your house, of where you live. Especially the location of all the electrical outlets. They know right where they are, right? Uh, Babies are amazing. That process of of internalizing external reality, it it never stops for them. There's a good friend of mine who goes to church here, uh, Stephanie Walsh. She gave me permission to mention her name. Uh, She has studied for years to be a professional counselor, a mental health therapist, 
right? Sounds really cool. And, and boy, the stories, it's amazing. The mental health, what she does, she actually works with people who are in troubled states of mind. And so she's become very good at this and talking to people who are, who are troubled. Now, here's what's amazing. If she can get uh, a child to draw a picture of a house, and based on that drawing, she can get a pretty accurate idea of what that child thinks of his or her mother, what that child thinks of their father, how that child views their own uh, comfort level and security. It's an amazing thing, right? And, and all based on things like where the front door is, and like if there's a tree in the yard, right? And like where the sun is in the sky, like all mean stuff. It's really amazing. It's amazing. I got my son Mason to draw a picture like this, and it confirmed what we believe in our house that mommy pretty much calls the shots. Dad's kind of like the third oldest kid, right? <laughs> it's, I was like, yeah, that's about right. That's about right. So, we're, we're, so this is what children can do. Now, we're really the same way. We internalize everything, including about God. See, we get a picture of God in our heads, and some of us have a picture of the old man. Some of us have a picture of, like, like the sweet old grandpa. Some of us have a picture of the guy throwing lightning bolts down or something like that. Now, we may not consciously, you and me may not at this point, because we think, oh, we're very intelligent people, we're not constantly walking around thinking that he is really an old man with a white beard sitting on a cloud. But we still walk around with an unconscious picture of God in our heads. And that picture, of course, you know, morphs and changes as we grow older, you know, as society changes. The picture changes, kind of like an old Polaroid. You remember the Polaroids? You had to shake them around. I, I don't know if that did any good or not, but you shook them, you know, and they, they gradually developed over time. And so our picture of God morphs, and it changes over a, a lifetime. I have a very different picture of God, I have to tell you right now, than I did even 20 years ago. And I very likely will have a different picture 20 years from now than I have now, right? As our relationship changes, I, as, as it changes. And so that's, it's not like a static thing, your picture of God, which actually makes sense because life is and should be a process of discovering who God is. It's a wonderful process. In fact, around here at Generations, we say it's one of our stated goals of Generations is to help people know God better so they can trust him more. We want to help people know God better so they can trust him more. But it's all about answering the question, who is God, right? Now, on another, another level, life is also this process of asking the question, who we are? Who am I? That second question. You ever notice right there in the heart of the word question is the word quest, a quest. And these two questions are really a lifelong quest that we're all on. Uh, It turns out these two questions are not even mutually exclusive. They have a lot to do with each other. If you want to know who you are, you need to know who God is. The medieval writer, St. Teresa of Avila, she said this, she said, we shall never succeed in knowing ourselves unless we seek to know God. We have to seek to know God. Amen. Now, as promised, as many people know, if you get to know me very long, you know that I love movies. I'm a big movie watcher. <clears throat> I got that from my mom, right? Mom, uh, growing up, my mom always loved watching movies. She's always had a little movie on around the house, usually like a Doris Day movie, right? Around that, watching something like that. And uh, so, yeah, me and my mom, we, we love movies. My dad, 
Not so much. In fact, I don't think it would uh, hurt his feelings to say, you do not want to watch a movie with my dad. (laughs) If you want to enjoy that movie, if you want to enjoy all of his witty comments and his, you know, snarkicisms about the movie, then you want to sit by him because that is a hit parade of fun. Uh, Yeah, but I I like movies. Now, when I was growing up... uh, as a young man, as a boy, and as a young man, I loved reading. I was really into it. I was kind of a bookworm. I was an only child, so I had a lot of time by myself, you know, in my room and re- read a lot of books. There's something, you know, you readers know, there's something amazing about just, like, losing yourself uh, for days and days in that universe that's inside the pages of a book. You know, it's, it's a wonderful thing. Here's the thing about reading, though. It's a very solitary endeavor, right? It requires peace and solitude and time. And then we had children. And my peaceful evenings and my solitude and my time just evaporated like dust in the wind. And so, um, so now I'm a movie lover because, let's face it, it's kind of like a, a, it's like a concentrated shot of inter- entertainment. Uh, and then you can go back to real life. Someone recently asked, uh, might have been, been my nephew, he asked me, what, what is our, what's my favorite movie? Or we were talking about what is our favorite movies of all time. It actually made me go back and think about it because I couldn't name one. Um, and so I started making a list, and the list just keeps growing and growing, right? And it kind of depends on the genre because, you know, I have, like, my favorite comedy or you have your favorite thriller or your, your favorite, like, family movie or classic and those kind of things. But I have to say, I have to say, one of my all-time, all-time favorite Action movies. Action movies. Just good old check your brain at the door, hang out with the dudes, watching lots of car chases, dudes punching each other in the face a whole bunch. This kind of action movie, my favorite all time, is The Born Identity. I love The Born Identity. It's such such a great, great movie. Which, coincidentally enough, was actually a great book back when I was into reading. Um, It was a good book. But it's such a great movie. It uh, came out, I don't know, in the early 2000s, 2002 or 3 or something like that. But the opening scene of The Born Identity, it shows this body floating 60 miles off the coast of France in the Mediterranean seas. And the guy, these guys on a fishing boat, they, they fish out the person in the water. And of course, it's Jason Bourne, played by Matt Damon. And they fish him out of the water, and it turns out he's still alive. He's still alive. They can't believe it. Uh, but he has no memory uh, of who he is or how he got there. He has no name, no identity. Uh, and so the movie is all about his quest to rediscover who he really is. Now, in the, in the book version of The Born Identity, written by Robert Ludlum, the author writes this very profound statement that sort of summarizes the whole story. It says, Jason Bourne is a microcosm of us all. We're all trying to find out who we are. So I just loved that. He's a microcosm of us all. We're all trying to find out who we are. Now, you and I might not be walking around with actual amnesia, right? Uh, but, but the truth is, for some of us, it might as well be the case, the way we walk around, because often the circumstances of life, the things that smack us, they leave us completely severed from the person we were meant to be. Something goes off track, and we become somebody else than the person we were meant to be. In 2 Samuel uh, 7.18, King David, he asks a question that Jason Bourne asks over and over, really. He says, Who am I, O sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And he goes on to say, Is this your usual way of dealing with man, O Lord? This question, Who am I? It's, it's the fundamental question mankind's been asking for thousands of years. 
Now, one of the great ironies about the story and the Bourne identity is that unlike most people, Jason Bourne knows that he doesn't know who he is. He knows that he has amnesia. Uh, so in a sense, for him, the amnesia is like a blessing and a curse. Uh, and he says in the book, he says, what a man can't remember doesn't exist for him. So it's, it's a curse in that way. It's frustrating. His life feels like a loss because he can't remember anything. The amnesia, though, it also forces him to be very intentional about rediscovering his real identity. That becomes his, his sole motive. And it's that type of intentionality that we need to rediscover who we really are. We have to be intentional about it. The, the late British adventurer and author Beryl Markham said, you can live a lifetime and at the end of it know more about other people than you know about yourself. Such a profound statement. Another writer, Sidney Harris, once wrote, 90% of the world's woes come from people not knowing themselves, their abilities, their frailties, or even their real virtues. Most of us go almost all the way through life as complete strangers to ourselves. So self-discovery, it is a long, hard process. And it lasts a lifetime, really. And that process isn't usually easy. In fact, it's often painful. It's painful. In the movie, Jason Bourne, he has to confront some pretty ugly truths on his way to finding out who he is, right? And I won't spoil it for you if you haven't seen it, right? But he has to survive some assassins. He has to survive some car chases. He has to survive, you know, getting punched in the nose a few times, quite a bit, before he rediscovers his true identity. And his, his breakthrough finally comes only after he faces that first near-death experience of almost drowning in the sea. He has to go back to where everything went wrong. That's where he has to go. So sometimes for us, for you and me, it takes a traumatic experience. It, ha- it takes having the courage to face honestly and to go to that place to snap us awake to who we really are. We have to go to that place where the traumatic experience happened, to wake us up from sleepwalking. I was watching this documentary one time. It was so powerful. And it showed the, a group of people. It was talking to people who had been forced to confront their own fears of death. Um, most of them had been given some sort of a terminal diagnosis from a doctor. Now, what's remarkable as I was watching this is when they discovered, when these people discovered that they were very likely going to die, a few of them just shattered, like psychologically. It, it, it just like, ended them mentally. But many of them felt liberated. They felt liberated. And, and I can't even imagine what that would be to go through. But this one, like this one woman, she was diagnosed with an incurable disease. She said, this isn't a death sentence for me, but a life sentence. And I got to thinking, because for her, every single petty thing she ever stressed about was suddenly gone. And she was free to spend every moment left truly living, right? It was a life sentence. Crisis, having a, going through some sort of a crisis has a way of speeding up the process, I think, of discovering who God is and who we are. Uh, we talked a little bit about it back last year in our Philippians series, how suffering sometimes has a way of focusing us on what's important. God doesn't bring the suffering, but he also doesn't waste it. He doesn't waste it, right? Nothing is wasted with God. 
So all things work together for good. He doesn't bring the suffering, but he's not going to waste that moment, right? And so when I look at my life, I have to say it's the failures, it's the disappointments, the tough times, the stressful times that really often reveal who God is and who I am. I find out who I am in those times. We find our true identity during the highs and the lows of life. Some of you have, have lost who you really are. Some of you, you have been sleepwalking through some kind of disappointment, some kind of trauma, and you've been sleepwalking. And you need to go back to the place where you lost your true identity. You need to go back to that place where you became someone you're not. Listen, this is for somebody, some of you are living someone else's dream for you. You're living other people's expectations of you, but they aren't God's dream for you. God has a dream for you. God has a dream. He has a dream for every single person. He has a dream for this church. He has a dream for you, an expectation for you, and you need to go back to that place where you lost your identity and start fresh. What is God's dream for you? C.S. Lewis put it in a really brilliant way. He said a math problem gone wrong can be put right, but only by going back Till you find the error in working it afresh from that point, never by simply going on. See, if you got the math problem wrong, you can't just like keep doing some more sums and minuses and try to till you get it right. You have to go back to where the error happened and start afresh. That's why, think about this. This is why the Bible says that when we come to Christ, He doesn't, it's not like just a math problem and He's gonna keep working on it. He doesn't just cover up our sins and help us to start living better lives so I can just start acting more moral. He makes us new creations. He goes back to where it went wrong. He takes us back so that we are, in a very real spiritual sense, born again. That is why we say that. When you enter into a relationship with Christ, you become the person that God always destined you to be from the moment of your conception. That is what happens when we come to Christ. Even the word convert in the Greek, it really means, it actually means reverse. It means to reverse directions. God reverses the effects of sin. He redeems those bad experiences. He doesn't waste them. He redeems them. And he helps us rediscover who we were meant to be all along. Just like the, the writer George Eliot said, it's never too late to be who you might have been. It's never too late with God. Hallelujah. But here is where, for Christ followers, for us Christians, it's a little different than for the world. The key to self-discovery is different for Christians than it is for people who don't know Christ. For the world, discovering who you really are is all about living a life entirely consumed with yourself. That's how you discover who you really are. You spend your whole life obsessed, and it totally revolves around exploring your every desire and your every cravings and essentially serving yours truly, and it's a lot of navel-gazing, you know, and this is what, how the world discovers who you really are, right? But for the Christian, the key to self-discovery is different. The key to self-discovery is learning to see yourself the way God sees you. That is how we enter into this self-discovery, right? Remember, there's two questions 
Who is God? Who am I? So for us, Scripture reveals these things. Scripture is both a window and a mirror. You can think of it like this. Some passages are like a window. We look through Scripture and we get to see God. We get to answer that first question, who is God? We see, see Scripture through that, right? We see God through the Scripture. And other passages are almost like a mirror that we see ourselves reflected back in the Scripture. James 1 He says this in verse 23, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror, they read the word, and after looking at himself, goes away and completely forgets what he looks like. So scripture is like a mirror. The Bible is our mirror. When we look in the mirror, we see ourselves the way God sees us. So what does God see when he sees us? We get a clue of that in Genesis. In Genesis 1, God says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Now this is really important. So when God sees us, when he sees you, he looks down, he sees you, he sees his reflection, his likeness, his image, right? You and I were created and designed to be image bearers of God. Very important. We're, We're made not only to worship God, but to represent him to the world, to everyone we meet. And even though Let's face it, that image is probably often imperfect, and it's scarred by sin. Every single disciple of Jesus Christ bears that indelible stamp of God. Every single one of us. That stamp of our divine origin. You're walking around with it. It's in you. Some people think that Scripture has a low view of humankind because it says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But that's just a reality check, right? That's just truth. None of us are morally perfect, and Scripture says so. The truth is, I think Scripture has one of the highest views of mankind you can have. We are made in the image of God. The image of God. You are invaluable and irreplaceable. That is what Scripture says about you. So we need to remind ourselves of that daily, that each one of us is made in the image of God. Let me tell you what. It'll change the way you see yourself. It'll also change the way you see each other, the way you see other people. Even those difficult people, those people who require a whole lot of forgiveness, you'll change because we are image bearers and that person that you are required to forgive, that person is an image bearer too of God. So when you think about it, we have, there's two sides of the argument in our culture and both sides are lying to you. The world says you are God of your world. The world says you're God of your world. It's all about you, right? That's what the world says. Religion says you're a worm. You need to live in condemnation. You need to, do, you need to earn your place before God. God says neither of those are the true picture of your identity. There's this beautiful old Jewish saying I thought was so cool. I wanted to share it with you. It goes like this. A man should carry two stones in his pocket. On one should be inscribed, I am but dust and ashes. On the other, for my sake, the world was created. Reach into the proper pocket when needed. (laughs) Keep them both in your pocket and reach into the proper one when needed. Because there's going to be times a day you need one or the other. What's brilliant is this, this gives two seemingly contradictory visions of the creation, doesn't it? And when you think about it, if you only live your life by only either statement, you'll miss the point of life entirely. 
right? And you'll be also, by the way, impossible for people to hang out with, right? Because you'll be like an insufferable jerk, or you'll be like this Eeyore that nobody wants to be around. So we need both. We need both stones in our hands. Let's look at, let's see what else the, the Bible says. In 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6.19, he says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? See, when we put our faith in God, we put our faith, it sets off this spiritual chain reaction that happens. Multiple things happen simultaneously when we put our faith in God. Part of that chain reaction is that the Holy Spirit literally moves in and takes up residence within us. Isn't that awesome? This is really good news for the Christian. This is awesome because it means that for Christians, we don't have to live by our own strength and our own wisdom. I'm not limited by my own strength and my own wisdom, right? Because I don't have a whole lot of either. But I get, to, I get to be empowered and enlightened by the Holy Spirit living in me. That's incredible news. It's good news for me. I don't know about you. It's good news for me. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, he says this, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. You are that temple. Some of the, some of the coolest things I've ever gotten to see, uh, I've been so blessed that I've gotten to go to Europe uh, before, and there uh, I've gotten to see some of the most magnificent cathedrals and temples that have ever been designed by man. Um, I've stood in those things. These, some of these places where they have stood for hundreds, some of them have stood for thousands of years, these places. And you walk inside these churches that were specifically designed to make you gasp when you walk in. They're specifically designed to make you feel small and reverent, right? Uh, before the, just the grandeur of the, of the place. Soaring ceilings that you just can't even believe were, were built, you know, without industrial age equipment, machines. Cathedrals that, that took literally generations of craftsmen to build. Stained glass that tell entire stories and, and make the sunlight dance in all these different colors when you see it coming through. And I remember in this one beautiful place we got to go, Melissa and I, and I remember having this distinct thought when I walked in, as impressive as this temple is, and I was in awe, I I had to admit, I was humbled before it, even that it was not nearly as valuable or as amazing as a single human temple. As impressive as it is, the key to self-discovery is seeing your Self, the way God sees you. And when God looks at you, he sees his image. He sees his temple. He sees his child. You are more valuable than all of these. John 1.12 says, To all who have received him, he gave the right to become children of God. Come on. Children of God? Why would, he, why would he do that? He didn't have to do that. He could have just said, you're my servants. Just behave till you die. Maybe I'll let you in. No, he made us children of God. Often, I think our perception of ourselves is based on, on what other people have said about us. It's based on what other people's perception of us is. That's just kind of the way life works, right? So your self-image usually 
is the byproduct of, of your parents' parenting and, you know, your coaches' coaching and your teachers' teaching or whatever it is, your friends' befriending, your spouses' spousing, if that's a word. <laughs> you, you know, all that kind of feeds into your self-image, who you are. But here's the problem with that. Even if you grew up and you had great parents and you had great teachers and great coaches and great friends and a great spouse, even if you had all that, their perception of you is still flawed, It's still imperfect. It's incomplete. Because the only one who really knows you is God. So all those people who have spoken into your life and kind of built your self-image to be what it is today, they don't know you. God is the one who knows you. Psalm 139 says this. David says, Oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. Now I think about me. There's a lot of people that sort of know me. I had a lot of you sort of know me. They know my name or my face maybe, but they don't know me, you know, like, like my close friends know me. And my close friends don't know me like my wife and children know me. And even my family doesn't know me like I know me. And I don't know me like God knows me. God, the way he knows me. If you follow the logic of this passage here, the conclusion you come to is this. If you don't know God, you can't really know yourself. If you don't know God, you don't know yourself. Or to put it another way, If you really want to get to know yourself, you got to get to know God. You need to know God better so you can trust him more. And in the process, you get to know yourself. God knows you better than you know you. There's nothing about us that God doesn't know. In Matthew, Jesus says that the Father has the number of hairs on her head numbered. Psalm 4, David says, God even notices our sighing. Our sighing, that's those low-frequency distress signals that we do. We let out when nobody's around. Uh, He knows. He heard. He felt that. He knows where we are at all times, geographically and spiritually. He knows where we are. He knows every thought, every word, every memory, every experience that we've ever had. He knows it. The way you discover who you are is by discovering who God is is. We let God define reality for us instead of other people and instead of trying to define it ourselves. Let God define your reality. We let God tell us who we are instead of listening to all those other voices. Amen. Now, before we finish today, I want to show you one of the most poignant scenes, I think, in the Born Identity in the movie. It's, it's just after they fished him out of, of the water in the opening scene. Watch this. Let's see if it comes out. Turn it up if you... Well, I don't think there's much. Je ne sais pas qui je suis. That's what I look like. Tell me, Big Ben. Weet je, Big Ben? Hou dan nog op, verdamme ook moet dat er zijn. Zeg het me. Ik ga het zo'n corner aan jou. Maar zo'n sterren op, wat zijn vaak? Nee. 
If you want to eat, you better get in there. You know, based on these charts, I, I think I may have been closer to the coast. What's this? Your diet is nuts? So it starts to come back, eh? No, it doesn't start to come back. The knot's like everything else. I just found the rope and I did it. Same way I can, I can read, I can write, I can add, subtract, I can make coffee, I can shuffle cards, I can set up a yes, chessboard. Yes, yes, it will come back. I mean, no, it's not coming back. That's the point. I'm down here looking through this all the... For two weeks I'm down here. It's not working. I don't even know what to look for. Interest. It will come back. What if it doesn't come back? We get in there tomorrow. I, I don't even have a name. I don't even have a name. You can you can feel his pain, his frustration there. I don't even have a name. See, all of us have been given a name when you were born. You were given a name by somebody. But it turns out, did you know that wasn't that's not even your real name? In Revelation 2, it says that each of us have a name that only God knows and that only God can give. He says, to him who overcomes, I will give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. Imagine that moment for a second, standing before the Lord, and you hear your true name for the first time. I think the moment we hear that name, our entire lives are going to come into perfect perspective. It's going to make sense. We're going to go, okay, I get it. John Eldridge, wonderful writer, he wrote, The history of man's relationship with God is the story of how God calls him out, takes him on a journey, and gives him his true name. Who you truly are is not based on what's happened to you in the past. It's not based on what other people have said. It's not based on even what you've done in the past. Who you truly are, it's based on who God says you are. Period. Who God says you are. And God wants 2016, I believe, to be for you the year of coming back alive. The year of waking up. He wants you at the end, finally, of this long night you have been sleeping through to finally wake up, to shake off the dead weight and embrace everything he has in store for you. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come forward while I'm praying. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your goodness. I thank you, Father God, that you are answering these questions for us, Lord. As we ask these questions, who are you? We ask you, Lord, that you will guide us. You will reveal yourself to us, Lord God. And you will reveal who we truly are in your eyes, Father. If we could walk around, Lord God, with that, with that understanding of how you see us, Lord God, it would change everything. It would change how we view ourselves. It would, change our, our, it would eliminate our fears, Lord God. It would fill us with faith, Lord God. It would fill us with patience and love and kindness towards other people. If you could just help us to see ourselves and other people the way you see us, Father God. We thank you for that, Lord. Be with us, Lord, as we go through this series. Speak to our hearts in those special ways that only you can do. We praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. Hallelujah. Well, I'm so glad you were here today. If you need prayer for anything at all, don't leave this room until you come forward and let one of these awesome prayer partners pray for you because it's not the same when we pray and they know how to pray. Hallelujah. All right. You guys have a wonderful week. We'll see you Wednesday night. Bye-bye.